Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. And today I'm with a a great guy from the East Coast, uh, Birmingham, Alabama area. Robert Needham is the CEO and founder of Spectrum Advanced Markets, and he is a franchising expert. Um, I had a little bit of experience in the franchising world when we helped entrepreneurs source and and a company stand up the first virtual event more than a decade ago. And now obviously everybody's doing virtual events. So uh, anyway, Robert, it's really great to have you here on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chad. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to dig in because uh, it's, I don't know what it is about Alabama, but I've had three people on the show from Alabama in the last week. And I think that's probably my only three from Alabama. So I don't know what it is about your part of the country right now, but uh, pretty, it's pretty popular. popular state to be moving to right now. I know that. So. Uh, I think so. There in Florida and Texas are the three tops, probably. Probably so, yes. Yeah, excellent. Well, I still have not visited, so I'll have to come check it out one of these days. They call it Alabama the Beautiful for a reason, I think. Wow. I can't wait to check it out. Well, so let's do this. I like to help everyone get to know you by rewinding the tape and asking the question, you know, where were you born? Where were you raised? And what do you remember when you were younger? What was your passion? What did you think about? What did you love to do? Let's get into that a little bit. Well, I was born in Kingsport, Tennessee, and my parents uh, left Tennessee when I was two and moved to Pensacola, Florida. And the reason was it was hard to find work. My dad was a was a contractor and it was hard to work 12 months out of the year in Tennessee. So we moved to Florida where it was warmer and those type of things. And life was good until I was about six years old when my dad became the first guy to have open heart surgery using the heart lung machine at the age of 30. And so our world really changed. Uh, and, and so, but that's, you know, we made those decisions and, and it was a great place to live. Wow. Um, that's interesting. 30 years old, how medicine has changed over the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, they did the surgery in Houston, Texas. And we have this great uh, Houston Chronicle newspaper says seventh successful surgery has uh, six Doberman pinchers on one side and my dad on the other. You know, he was the first human surgeon. (laughs) What a neat thing. It's kind of comical, but uh, it was it was great. You Hmm. know, my dad lost his dad when he was about 20, 21 years old. Um, 
my dad was 21 years old and um, his, his dad had a brain tumor. And so it caused my dad to go into pharmacy and then into radiology. And, you know, his whole purpose was, Hey, let's go try to figure out what, what you can do with that. And in today's modern medicine, you know, you can remove a tumor from, from the brain um, and still be okay. So it's, it's really good to see where, uh, you know, all of that's come over the last several years. Absolutely. So thinking about when you're a kid and that, you know, that you went through with your dad and uh, how, how does what you like to do then, does it tie into what you're doing today in the world? Well, I'd like to believe it does. My parents were very optimistic, even though our life changed financially. You know, I mean, uh, my mother was a textile worker. So as a result, we, we lived on very little money. And, uh, and so because of that, but my parents always said to me, you can be anything you want to be if you just choose to. And so fortunately for me, I've had such a wonderful life's career and it started really when I was about six years old. My imagination was wide open. My parents put no limit on my thinking. Uh, I was an only child. So, you know, they just gave me freedom to think and dream to be who whatever I want to be. So, you know, at first I thought I wanted to be a dentist. Then I wanted to be Batman. You know how it is. And, and eventually I became a rocket scientist. So, uh, and I was selected for the NASA space shuttle team for the first 14 flights. And, and uh, that was a, a great thing to happen in my 20s. But it was born, I believe, out of that age six experience where my parents just took the lid off and said, you can be anything you want to be, son. I was the first child in our family uh, to ever go to college. Now I have two doctoral degrees, you know, so uh, I kind of overdid it. But anyway. Um, it, it really is amazing that statement because it's true. Sometimes it feels like I'm living in a video game because you really can just make the decision to be whatever it is you want to be doctor, lawyer, you know, heart surgeon, space shuttle astronaut. I mean, you, you, you know, there's obviously there's a couple of limitations along the way. If you're four foot five, you might not make it in the NBA, but guess what? There's some five foot 10 people who've made it in the NBA just fine. So absolutely. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty neat uh, th that you share. So what, what have you loved most in your career? Cause you've, you know, 14 space shuttle launches. That's pretty, that is pretty compelling. Um, I have to believe that was rewarding, but what's the most rewarding thing you've witnessed? Well, what I learned was I wanted to do two things in my life. I, I was pretty settled on that from an early uh, go. I wanted to fly high-speed aircraft, and I wanted to own my own business. And I went to NASA to fly as a mission specialist, but the policies and politics of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, made me a rocket scientist instead. And so even though it was historic to be there and be a part of that, every time I launched somebody into space, I was making their dreams come true and mine weren't. So for me, I knew I needed to make the transition. So in the mid eighties, I, I, you know, or right at 1993 to be exact, I actually made the transition to being in business for myself. And I moved uh, from Colorado then where I was at, cause I was part of star Wars also. And then I came down to uh, Birmingham where I've been ever since. Oh, wow. That's where I am Colorado now for the last seven years. And I grew up here. So small world. Yes. Uh, Honeywell, I remember, was a big, uh, big location out here. And I always drove by the white globe 
And I was like, what the heck is that for? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, so a lot of us face some kind of challenge in life. Obviously at a young age, you know, you faced your dad going through open heart surgery. Um, th that's very early. What, you know, what other speed bumps along the way where at the time it felt like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get over this mountain. But then you did because you're here now. Uh, tell us about a challenge you faced and how'd you overcome it? Well, you know, one of the mistakes you make early on and when, when you, I mean, it's great that my parents took the lid off, if you will, but it also kind of created an idyllic, idealistic view of the world in a sense that I believed everybody told the truth. I believed everybody would, would do what they said they would do and that nobody had an agenda. Unfortunately, once you launch a few businesses or you around a lot of that activity, you realize that that's not necessarily true. And so I, I would say to you that one of the mottos that I put on all my proposals for my customers is the reason they should hire me is because I've made more mistakes than anybody else. And I know where the potholes are. So I think life is really about a journey of mistakes, not necessarily a journey of successes. And as long as you learn from them, you can be successful, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, you never, you never make the shot you don't take, and you're going to have some misses along the way. So learn from the misses. And guess what? Some of your biggest misses can be some of your best rewards because that's when God shows up is when you have a miss in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, the difference between God's abundance plan and the world's scarcity plan. Um, what does that mean to you and share more with our audience? Well, in our country today, um, and really in the world today, we're in crisis and, and it's because I think we're confused. We aren't grounded in those things which would hold us steady. For those of us who are believers, that of course would be Christ in the Bible. But but whether no matter what you believe in, you need to be grounded in something, you know. And if you're not, then the old country song is, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. That's kind of the situation that I think we're at in our country right now. We're believing a lot of stuff which is not true. We have trusted for 250 years that the economic models created by Adam Smith and guys like that, you know, that what's called the law of supply and demand or the scarcity model would drive our country to greatness. And it did. But today with, with the giants that are out there, big tech, you know, big business, big banking, big media, uh, and we're, we're finding that it's being manipulated we're actually living in a manipulated world. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we have a thing called manipulated scarcity where things are really not uh, as bad as they say they are. For example, a few weeks back, um, there was a ransomware attack against the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And that caused the price of gasoline in the, in the Eastern seaboard to go up dramatically. And that was resolved within one week's time. In fact, the money was paid back. So there really was no loss. Yet today, nearly a couple of months later, the price has never gone back down. They knew people would pay that price, so they just left it there. Mm. So the law of supply and demand isn't working anymore. And what we're finding is, is that the average human being is not getting what God intended. God says that each one of us are created equal at the cross. 
And what that means is, is that we all have value. But what we've been translated to is an expense on the balance sheet. Mm. So today I'm I've completing about 15 years of research in this area of what we call abundance. And it's based on Leviticus, you know, where where we, we hear that there is a field and the farmer sows this field. And he's and, and the Bible's really pretty silent on the field itself. Which and if you think of the field as a business or an organization or a group or whatever you want to think of it. But what it says is those corners and edges are to be left for those that aren't quite capable of taking care of themselves. Well, those edges are referred to as excess. And another word for excess is abundance. So the thinking here is, is that if we can release that abundance, God can heal our land. Because he feeds the birds. He, feeds, he takes care of everything else with his abundance. Why couldn't he take care of us? If he loves, yeah. he loves us more than he loves them, if you will. So why? Yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board with everything that you just said. Um, it's a, it's an interesting story this morning. We, we launched this app called 77 pray. We've been working on it for six months and the Apple store declined it twice because, and our developer said, Hey, I haven't gotten in 10 years of doing this. I haven't gotten a monthly subscription app passed because it's very difficult to meet the threshold. And so I walked out on my patio this morning and I prayed and I said, God, the country and the world needs you. And, you know, I asked you for a miracle earlier this year. And I said, just give me a miracle today that shows that you're moving in this country, like something that's Un, you know, that you can't define as anything other than a miracle again. And I asked a similar prayer in February. I've never asked for a miracle in my life. And in February, I did get a miracle because my son was healed from a very bad burn. And now I asked again, show me a sign, right? And five minutes later, I come into my computer, I look on it and it says, yay, you won't believe it. Your app has been approved. Hasn't been 10 years. Now, who knows, will, will we have an impact on the country? Maybe, maybe not. But I've been following God's guidance on this, and I believe there's a purpose for this. And a lot of people, I think, living in life are like, well, I can't really make a difference. I'm just, I'm just a number out of the 300 million people. And if everybody sat back and said, I'm just a number, then nothing would get done. So that's really the purpose of the app is to help people connect to God it's, it's free to connect to God. You just fold your hands and you ask. <laughs> and, and I hope a lot more people will do that as a result of this, this day and this app that was just launched into the world today. So congratulations. And that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. God is good. And abundance is there. If you just ask, um, what about, let's see the intangible asset value as it relates to projects and people. Well, you know, historically, one of the things that it's being debated right now uh, in, in the media is, is that uh, there needs to be some kind of reparation or whatever for this idea of slavery. And, and, and they're caught up in this time when, when there actually was slavery. And I don't think there's a person in our country that wouldn't say that that was not a good time in our country, you know, but there was, the times were different then. economics was different then, but it still was not the right way to deal with things. Even though there's more slaves in the world today than there were then. Hmm. And that's an interesting statistic. 
So my last book that I've written is, is called Escaping Economic Slavery. And what I've realized is, is that we intellectually or, or as humans create more value with our brains than we do in most any other way. I'll give you a, cl a classic example. Right now, in the name of free, we exchange our ideas and thoughts on websites such as Facebook and LinkedIn and others like that. And they provide us the ability to connect to other people, but then they monetize our intellectual property for billions of dollars. Yet they don't share. Mm -hmm. So in the definition of enslavery, slavery is, is that when the master provides you your house and your food, the definition of economic slavery is when the master expects you to pay for your house and your food. So we're at a place where we live in a world where everything's a little topsy-turvy. It needs to be rethought through. Uh, socialism isn't the answer. We know that that leads to dictators. You know, we need, we need democracy or specifically republic type thinking, you know, because that brings freedom. But we know that we, we need to also unleash the full human potential mm -hmm. of God's children. And so one of the things I'm working on is a concept called sharing capitalism. And it's kind of a double meaning. We're going to share our capitalism with other people. But the other one is, is learning how that it starts with giving first and receiving second. And so that idea of sharing capitalism, it, we're implementing it in several different programs already today in the country. What we're finding where it's really working the best, interesting enough, is among universities. Because when they come together to collaborate, they don't know how to share. And so we're showing them how that they can work together and share. And what we're finding is the normal 20-year cycle to develop technology has been shrunk to five years. Mm -hmm. And that is bringing us back to competitive. Well, that's solely on just the, the, the brain power of people coming together and making a difference. So that's just one example. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, talk to us about franchising. You've had a lot of experience in that area. Um, what's, um, what's going on in franchising these days? Is it, is it a growing industry, I, I would expect? It's interesting. There's about, depending on who you ask, between 3,500 and 4,000 concepts, mm -hmm. you know, brands out there. It's been that way for 20 years. Hmm. So what happens is about 500 new brands enter the market every year and about 500 brands leave the market every year. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Most recently, we're seeing COVID be a great impact as it relates to brick and mortar businesses in general, because a lot of them had to shut down for nearly a year and they weren't independently wealthy. So, you know, they succumbed to that pressure. But in reality, it's making a better evolution. I think we're seeing businesses become more streamlined. You know, it's like after a hurricane. You know, I lived in Northwest Florida, and when a hurricane would come through, it would clear out all the brush underneath all the trees and a few trees along the way too. Mm -hmm. But it would be open and fresh and new again. All that, all that wilderness was gone, and it, the clutter was gone, and it was now clear. And I think that even with COVID, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that there's been a great clearing take place. 
And now there's room for new ideas. For example, you'll start to see fast food restaurants or quick service restaurants as they're referred to uh, be double driving, double drive-throughs now. There won't be much in place dining because most people eat in their cars nowadays, unfortunately, because they don't keep their lives in balance. They're running here and yonder trying to do everything possibly they can while talking on their phone and doing all those other things. But, uh, and so it's, it's evolving to take care of that. We've seen great significant growth in service-based franchises. So everything from mowing your yard to cutting your hair to you name it, if, if it's a service out there, somebody's figuring out how to franchise it. Sure. Uh, dry, shoveling your driveway should shoveling be your driveway in, in my area. <laughs> and, and, and now we're seeing the new digital base franchise coming out of the digital era, you know, and those are a little weird and complicated because, you know, there are already a lot of these uh, done for you kind of ideas and social media. So it'll take a little while for that to evolve through, but eventually what you get with franchising is three things. You know, you get a brand that people trust, you get a business system that works, and you get training that teaches you how to do the business. And so that's what people need that, that are not entrepreneurial enough to do it on their own, and they don't want to be an employee anymore. So they kind of sit in that middle and they need a little help to get themselves going. And I think that that's where franchising brings strength uh, in the business model. It's not for yeah. everybody but it's for a lot of people. Yeah. A friend of mine has one in Dallas that has maybe five or six locations. It's, um, it's a specialty fitness one. It's hot yoga. And he bought it right at the start of COVID and then from, from the prior owners and then poof, you know, they were shut down for several months. Um, but it's all blue light and whatever that is, right. That, that ultraviolet, and, uh, and it actually was a, it ended up being a good timing uh, during COVID for that business. Now he's partnering up with, I think it might be the nothing but cakes guys to, uh, or, or they may have exited theirs and now they're look they're doing the next big one. So I think he may be taking that concept to a bigger level with some uh, backing. Well, what I've been fortunate to do is I've taken over 300 concepts, approximately 10% of the industry we've actually been the ones to develop them. And a few of our clients have made what's, the, you know, the, the, the holy grail, if you will, of franchising, which is called the Franchise 500. And so, you know, we'd like to think that we figured out what we did was find a way to cut the cost of franchising in half mm. so that the average person could afford to take their great idea and, and use franchising as a vehicle to lift their brand in the marketplace. So what's the normal... Like there's two sides, right? What's the cost to the franchisee? And I think I've heard, you know, 250,000 is a pretty normal level. And then there's the cost to the franchisor who invests to build it. Um, talk to me about both of those, you know, what on the, average. The, the franchise disclosure document, which describes these costs and item seven, there's 23 items in every FDD and item seven discloses this budget. There's a franchise fee which is a license fee to actually buy the brand, if you will. And then the remainder of it is to open your location or to operate your business. Mm -hmm. So it's broken up into those two parts. The average franchise fee in America is between 25 and 35,000. And then depending upon the type of business it is, it ranges from a, you know, from 30, $30,000 to open to as high as, 
as uh, millions of dollars in the case of like a hotel. But generally speaking, you're right, $250,000 for the average brick and mortar franchise and probably under $100,000 for the service-based franchise. Okay, got it. Well, that makes me think about living a better story because we're, we're really thinking of rolling it out. I think the benefit is my day job outside of the foundation is that I'm an expert at outreach to people on LinkedIn, on email, on voicemail drops, on all of the above. So I've learned like, hey, if I come into your town and you want to open a chapter for living a better story, don't worry, we'll help you get all the guests, we'll give you the curriculum, we'll make it, you know, very simple for you, just like a 26 point oil check at your local grease monkey. And that's how it's got to be right very systematic. Turnkey. Yeah, turnkey. turnkey. You know, there's three ways to get a business, you can build it from scratch. You can buy it from somebody else who built it from scratch, or you can borrow someone else's system. Franchising is that third part where you borrow somebody else's idea mm. <clears throat> and you clone or copy their success. Yeah, got it. Love it. Um, okay, last couple of questions. And that is the, the, you know, what if over the next three years, you're back on the show and you say, Chad, that was the most amazing three years I've had looking back what's happened for you, right? What's your, like my newest mission for living a better story and for the app we just launched it. I'm watching this show called the chosen, which is just amazing. It's so good. And the picture of the gray fish going around in the circle and then the blue fish flips direction, right? And then he flips. Then if you notice on the last screen, it's 13, right? Not by accident, the number 13, one plus 12. So that's my new mission in life is how do I flip more gray fish and make them blue? That's the brick. <laughs> that's, a great idea. that's the scorecard for me now. Um, so what's, you know, thinking three years out, what would be, man, it was amazing three years. What would that look like for you? Well, like you, I'm starting, a found, I actually acquired an existing foundation, but I'm, I'm launching a foundation, which I'm going to call the Center for Collaborative Sharing. And it would be my hope that the 10 or 12 initiatives that we eventually hope to do there, you know, uh, the first one will be corners and edges. In other words, how do we find the abundance and release it into people's hands that need it? Um, but we want to be able to do that. So if three years from now, my teachings, my books, my, my advocacy in the, in the marketplace had inspired enough people to participate in one way or another, that that thinking got moving forward then I would have been able to bless a lot of people through the foundation. And that would, I would say my work was, was much better than it has been. That's awesome. Well, let me know how I can be helpful because on the outreach side um, for people that are doing God's work, we're doing things at cost. So it's like 80% lower cost than the market. <laughs> so happy to help in any way I can. Well, would love to do that. My wife's ministry is called Be the Remnant. And so she's training up what we believe is God's remnant in preparation for those times. And so, um, uh, you know, so we, uh, we're going to use the foundation for that as well. But we look forward to doing that. Look forward to working with you in any way we can. Yeah, amazing. I, God's just putting me on these calls. And what's most exciting to me is that I'm talking to people on all different backgrounds that have different belief systems, right? doesn't matter if you're on the left side of the aisle or the right side of the aisle or the center. The common language is be a good person and follow God. 
And so even someone on these coasts that competed against Stacey Abrams is uh, potentially going to be on the show. She didn't make the last recording, but I think she's going to. And so focusing on what's important, uh, God's love and forgiveness and grace, that's another interesting stat. I just heard this this morning. Atheists that don't believe in God at all, on a scale of one to 10, have a certain level of uh, satisfaction in life, stress, anxiety, et cetera. It, what he said, and I believe him because he did work with Billy Graham Foundation, um, a Christian who's rooted in the Old Testament of you have to comply with all these 613 laws or you're a bad person is actually slightly lower, like our high, higher anxiety than an, even an atheist. Absolutely. The Christian who believes that they have grace and that's where it all starts from is by far standard deviation above both of those. So nothing's wrong with Christianity from the Old Testament perspective. However, if you haven't found that you're a good person because Jesus died for you, then you're living in a, in a level that you're not realizing your full capabilities and your full level of happiness. That's what I came to the conclusion of. Absolutely. I'd agree with that 100%. You know, we have to, you know, those rules back in those days, most of them were societal in nature. Anyway, they were about keeping things clean and keeping people healthy um, and just helping society form in general, you know, from, from what was a tribal approach to things to became cities and villages and such as that. Um, we have a more perfect way now, which is, which is Christ and, and, and his way of teaching and, and how that should help us, you know, to be better people. We have, we call it the seven F's, by the way, I, I maybe I'd leave you with this thought. Living a balanced life is probably something all of us who've been in business at one time or another don't do. <coughs> We, we identified these seven F's and because as what it takes now, you know, two-way balance is tough enough because seven-way balance is, it's a bit challenging, but we found that if you focus on these seven things, uh, you learn something. If you focus on your faith, you know, and faith without works, of course, is just a dream and it's dead. So you have to put feet to your, to your faith, family, your function, in other words, your work, your fitness, your finances, fellowship with others, and having some fun. Now, what we learned in this whole process is that if you ask most people, you put 100 people in a room when we've done this, and you ask them, you'll find that they're really good at two of them. And it's almost always function and finance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it's business guys and gals. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. But what you find is, is that you ask them what would be the score. And after a little while of thinking, they all come to reality. It's better to be a three in all of them because you're in balance yeah. than the seven in anything. Wow. I mean, it reminds me of going to work out, which I did decades ago. <laughs> I do from time to time now. Uh, we'll get back on it very soon. But I would stand on this thing for, for core. And, you know, to your point, at, at first it would like, knock you off this little rolly ball thing but over time as you start doing these exercises it, it strengthens the core 
And when you're talking about these seven competing priorities, it's not just, you know, one or two, it's seven. And so it's very similar to that balance of the core or the tire is what I've seen before, right? If you draw the spokes, if you've got right. a flat somewhere, and to your point, most people have five out of seven of a flat tire. So that's not, not a good thing. It's not going to not going to roll down the road when you the do The stress that. in your life is coming from those five that you don't have in balance. Yeah, that's right. And so sometimes if you back off the things that you're driving hard on and bring some of the others up, you'll find peace because yes. you, you're just, and then you can hear God tell you how life, how good life can be. Yeah. 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 I mean, man, I, I went from making a lot of money as a VP with software companies on the back end and on the front end. I was not very good at saving it, but that's a different story. Um, my point is I decided three years ago to start my own business and dropped by 80% of what I make, right? Which is there's way more salespeople who make a lot more money than I make now, a lot more money than I make. And yet on a balance perspective, building this app, launching Living a Better Story, I, I'm way more complete and satisfied in life as a result of doing that. And it start, it might start at a three out of 10, and then it goes to a four and a five. Before you know it, man, that tire is a 20 out of a 10, because you know what I mean? And that's where when you're living in God's purpose for you and in your own individual fingerprint, that's where things are going to continue to get interesting. So, Absolutely. Finding your purpose, that thing which God made you to do, figuring out who are going to be your mentors, you know, what are your divine assignments to teach you how to do that thing which God asked you to do, and then reaching that place of convergence where you actually get to do that which God has asked you to do. But it doesn't stop there. Then you got to come back and teach others mm -hmm. what you did. Wow. So listen, we've talked to... Robert Needham today, whose dad was the first person to have open heart surgery, um, who helped launch 14 space shuttles into space, uh, the very first 14 missions. Um, and, and he's here sharing his testimony with us today that, hey, none of that matters if you don't have God and Jesus in the center, and you can be happier, more complete, and you know, what an amazing conversation, amazing person we've just talked to. Uh, that's what living a better story is all about. So Robert, thank you so much for joining today. This has been amazing. Thanks, Chad, for having me. I really appreciate uh, your, your message here and your mission also. Man, we're going we're gonna to franchise God's love into eternity. And I look forward to doing that with you together. All right. All right, everybody. Signing out, we'll catch you on the next Living a Better Story podcast. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. 
May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.